Welcome to The Real Deal, where God, His purposes, and His people are celebrated. I'm Rachel Inouye, bringing you encouragement through real life, people, and their stories. It's The Real Deal. Hey, let's get started. Take two. Okay, everybody on The Real Deal, you real dealers out there, you literally have to live life with The Real Deal. And here's The Real Deal. Um, this asked if I wanted to use a new filter for my face. I chose no oh. because that made, me, that made me have fewer wrinkles. I've earned every one of these for 60 years. So number one, I chose no filter. Number two, my guest today is Chad Mansbridge and we recorded for an hour, but I forgot to hit the record button twice. I hit it the first time. So this is the real deal. You guys are getting another session it won't be the same because that's how i roll but it will be that was just for us rachel that was just, for, was us. just for us thank you thank you so but, much but I, but I but i tell you with our with our sort of rescheduling you know to finally get to meet one another and then speaking for an hour and not recording there's got to be something good okay and the filter good. the filter for me is working great because i chose an aging one and it's made my chin go gray which is definitely not normal that's 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 definitely not me so did you did you wet it a little bit and then dip it in sugar or salt? Yeah, talcum powder. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, just just to make myself look more mature than what I am, yes. which is probably not something you should say on the real on a podcast called the Real Deal, right? Yeah, right. Are we right. supposed to be on t- totally honest here and say we that need yes, to be I'm forty four and I'm real. very gray? Raw and real. No, okay. Fine. So the raw is that I am just dealing a little bit, and Holy Spirit's can get me past this a little bit of shame because I feel badly that I'm taking <laughs> your time, and you're in Australia, which we met early, so it'd be early for you. But now it's more eating into your day. But I really, really do appreciate you being gracious enough to do this. So are you ready for take two? I'm ready for take two. I mean, okay. literally now it's my third coffee for the day. So it's let's, your third coffee uh, for I'll, the day. I'm probably so more pumped now. You know, you're going to be ready for these. I'm going to ask Chad the the rapid fire questions. One of the things I want to read though before I um, just give you the rapid fire is off his Instagram, and you can find Chad Mansbridge on all sorts of platforms, and we'll go over that. But I love what he said on Instagram. He's husband to one, father to four, pastor to some, author to more. Teacher to many, servant to all, friend to few, joined with the Lord. And I'm going to read, and Michael's going to help me record that and get that onto the beginning, his more true bio. But I really, really do appreciate you saying yes, Chad, because I've been really ministered to by your YouTube channel, by your podcast, by your He Qualified You book. And I'm also going to get the You Can Handle the Truth. So hopefully we will get to talk about that again today. But I, I want you to know that I before I ask you the rapid fire stuff, we talked about this earlier, but I really do. I just honor you. I honor you for what you carry. I honor for you for what you've done. I honor you for being a pioneer in some ways, just speaking truth that clearly um, trumpets God's truth, but doesn't convolute it. It makes it so that people can march forward and understand things better. And I really felt that way when I read He Qualifies You. So that is what I was in Marco Island, Florida. I had my feet in the pool. I was on Instagram and I thought, you know, I just started following you maybe months before that. And I thought, why not just message and ask him if he would do the real deal? He can always say no. He can always say, you get with my people, my people get with your people. And I'll be like, well, forget that. You know, but I just, I just really went like, oh, he answered back. And so we've been trying to have this. So thank you for being on the real deal. I welcome you again to the real deal. And I'm really grateful for your time. 
I really am. No worries. No. Thanks, worries. Rach. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so here. And, and g'day, and a big g'day to all, the, all your listeners, wherever you're from. And uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, yeah. I'm so happy you say good day. Okay, rapid fire. Don't overthink these, Chad. Do you say your coffee or tea? Coffee. <laughs> dog, cat, either, neither. Definitely dog allergic to cats. <laughs> Morning bird or night owl? Morning bird, early to bed. Okay. What time do you go to bed? Ooh, look, it, typical to be in bed by nine. And it's winter over here now because everything's opposite, of course, in this hemisphere. Sure, sure. So, you know, you're in your summer, we're in our winter. So even even more so in winter. Yeah, that makes sense. Books <laughs> or movies? Uh, yes, but probably movies. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, uh, older ones, though, not, not recent movies. No. Sure. Sure. I bet you we have some of the same favorites. Silence or music? Uh, yes, but I do love silence. Okay. Would you consider yourself leaned in or laid back? Uh, my first instinct is to say leaned in. Yeah. I would say you're leaned in and I would thank you for being laid back because we're doing this podcast. <laughs> again. I mean, I'm literally want... leaning in right now. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shower or bath? Shower. Driver or passenger? Definitely driver. Okay. And on the wrong side of the road? No, you no. say Left the left side of the road. The left side of the road, which is the right side of the road. It's how the queen would it's how the queen would have it. It was all I think it was I think it was all part of your independence, you see, is uh in there in the United States is just just to stick it to the king. You uh you, you started driving on the right side of the road. True right rebellion. True rebellion. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The ultimate <laughs> insult to her majesty. I'll just show you. Um yeah, Michael and I went to Germany one time and not only were we not able to be on the wrong side of the road we were taking the bike path to a castle and didn't realize it was the bike path and the walk path until this lady with four dogs on leashes was like what are you guys doing i'm like honey the road wow. is over there anyway okay uh chad don't let this one throw you off but would you consider yourself a introvert or extrovert uh yes i'm happy to say that i'm a, a charismatic introvert Okay. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy being in front of a crowd um, or even being in a crowd, but my energy comes from being alone. And if that's how you define introvert, sure. then, then I'm happy with that. Yeah. Sure. Like where you charge best. Okay. So you know that this is called the real deal and we've already done this before, but I believe that my dad was RD, Richard Dean, and he would always tell us to be the RD, but then he told us it meant just be the RD, the real deal, not Richard Dean. And he told us that it was kind of like he's an artist and he would like wood to be wooden and he liked paint to be on the canvas and he wanted all like all cotton things and it was wool. And he would always say people were the real McCoy or they were the real deal. And I think it affected me because he would say, just be the real deal. And I have the blessing of always having liked being Rachel. Now, I know that's not everybody's case, but I'm really comfortable in my skin and it's helped me be the real deal because I do see other people's things that I appreciate, but I've never just wanted to become them. So who in your life would you say is authentically who they are, whether they're in front of you or on vacation, they're just always kind of true to themselves. And how has it affected you? Who's your real deal? Um, this is a question you actually prepped me with. So, to, yes. so to, to be the real deal, let's let's say that let's say that to folks. But um, and that means actually your initials were RD for much of your life. Is that right? Um, no, because that was Richard. his middle name. Oh, okay. okay, okay. Was his Richard Dean, but my last name was Hagen. So, but I did have. Okay, okay sorry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, so here in Australia, uh, when we describe someone as being the real deal, we have our own unique term for that. We'd say that someone is fair dinkum. 
fair dinkum. So, or dinky dye, okay, or true blue, but mostly fair dinkum. Uh, and so, as someone, when you when you prepped me for this question yesterday, I just got off the phone uh, to my old pastor, who's now uh, become a mentor for me, a spiritual father, and is now somebody that I consider a, a good friend. And his name is Rob Rufus. And he was my pastor during my young adult years. And he was the first person that came to mind when you said, who is someone that is the, a real deal in your life? Uh, Rob is a person that could stand uh, in a pulpit, in a ministry capacity and be quite open, vulnerable, talk about marriage and children and struggles and challenges and tiredness and, and uh, issues and concerns and, and those type of realities. Uh, yet at the same point, when the anointing came on him or he'd operate in a, in a glory realm or a prophetic office, let's say, um, he could be, you know, <laughs> literally veins sticking out of his neck, prophesying, praying, declaring. Uh, and it's, it was not pretense. It's very much a, yeah. when the anointing was there for that, it was still very much the real deal. But the thing that, that hit me about Rob as a young adult, when I first met him at maybe 18 years of age, something like that, is that in a large church with hundreds of people around, when I would speak to him in a, in a church context, He'd look me in the eye and be genuinely interested in our conversation and uh, what I was saying. He wouldn't look over my shoulder. He wouldn't be waiting for the next person or seeing who else was around that was more interesting to speak with. He'd be uh, looking me in the eye and engaging me personally. And so over the years, I've developed a good relationship with Rob. We travel together. Uh, we've, in a sense, holiday together on, on ministry trips when we've had a few extra days and whatever. And uh, we've shared some quite vulnerable moments um, over the years. And so, yeah, my answer to that would be uh, Rob Rufus, my former pastor and friend. And when I asked, like, how did that affect you? I think it would affect you as a pastor as well, right? Because you felt seen and known when he would do that. And so that was modeled for you, right? Yeah, look, it's it's a very, it, it, I guess it taps into a psychological need for a lot of people to be recognized, to be known, to be seen. You know, uh, I think the latest Avatar movie made a big deal of that, you know, mm. <laughs> about saying, I see you, you know, I see you. So mm. uh, someone saying that. And so uh, when you can say that with your eyes, to somebody, I see you, I hear you. And, uh, you know, I think we all know what that's like, particularly for someone who you respect or look up to or has some sort of um, profile or authority about them. To know that that person sees you is a major deal. And so, uh, yeah, I think I learned something about being a pastor. You know, Rob would say, and, and even I would say, uh, pastoring as far as the shepherding, caring, uh, you know, having cups of old tea with old ladies type, <laughs> type yeah. of thing is maybe not my strong point in mm. ministry. It's not my major strength. If I was to do, uh, I've done an Ephesian 4 uh, personality test before sure. around the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor and teacher and pastor was the lowest on my list, you know, yeah. uh, of those of those gifts. But we are all still have the good shepherd living in us. And as followers of Jesus, we are all called to shepherd people, even if it's a lowercase s. And so looking people in the eye, engaging, listening, uh, demonstrating empathy. Uh, the word empathy uh, is not an exclusive thing to liberal or left wing people in politics. OK, empathy is a genuine fruit of the spirit to be able to connect with people and uh, to be able to see things from their point of view uh, is an authentic thing. And so I learned that, uh, or I certainly had that modeled to me by Rob in those early years. And yes, it did make an impact uh, input on me. Mm, so good. Well, he writes in the foreword of your book, and we'll talk about this book later in this podcast, but he wrote that Chad Mansbridge has distinguished himself by bringing out the distilled essence of covenant truth that shines like a jeweled diamond revealed as brilliant and beautiful because of the art of profound succinctness and simplicity. We're going to talk about how something doesn't have to be 
too difficult or too profound for somebody, the layman to understand. And I think you're really, really masterful at bringing it home without, like you said earlier, without dumbing it down or making people feel like you're condescending to them, but bite-sized truths. And I found that when I read your book, I, I remember he says, this presentation is precisely what is needed to precipitate perfect peace for those who have been, I loved this, ambushed by ambiguity, ambiguity scared by schizophrenic religion and blurred or bullied out of their inheritance. Okay. That's something, right? And then he talked about when he first met you, you had a hunger for truth and you had a pure heart and a brilliant mind. And I, I've only spoken to you a little bit, but I've followed you, watched you on YouTube, um, digest a lot of your information. And I would say his blessing over you is what I can pick up as truth. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you. If I'm not certain, my dad used to say, it's a little shaky. If I'm not sure if somebody really is who they are and it's a little shaky, I I wouldn't necessarily reach out and want to have them be on the real deal because I, I don't know if they're pretending or whatever. But since I don't know you personally and I wanted to reach out, it's because my spirit was like, I think he's the real deal. And I really appreciate the way you use the real deal for Bible stuff too. So, okay. What I would like to do now, if it's okay, is tell you how I connected the dots with you. I was okay. listening on YouTube and I believe the more you consume of something, they give you more. And I was watching something. And if you listen to a certain worship channel, they'll give you more of those worship musics or whatever. But I was listening to some series or some things by Chris Blackaby. And he said, I just want to give credit to my, I don't think he said my friend, but he said to Chad Mansbridge for this little book called He Qualifies You. And I, I gobble up things by Chris Blackaby. He doesn't know me from anybody, but I loved his, um, you know, father series. And I loved his thing on the hundred, uh, the 60 and the hundred fold, the 30, the 60, the hundred fold. It really made a lot of difference to me. So I was like, oh, I got to figure out who this guy is. So I ordered your book, started doing things. I had already been at the same time watching Rob Rufus, watching him live when he was in Hong Kong. Um, his identity series was so good. And I watched that on YouTube. Come to find out the people that were in the algorithm for me, how do they relate to you? Well, very much so. So those <laughs> those three dots are very very easy to join, and uh, so essentially, it I uh, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's a small world, you know, and yeah. uh, algorithms. But uh, Australia also is uh, it's a big landmass, but it's only got twenty six million people. So it's it's uh, you know most of us know one another. We're just a, a kangaroo right away from from your nearest neighbour, basically. But uh, <laughs> basically, both myself. And Chris Blackaby are best mates. And uh, we both grew up in separate country towns, but moved to the city when we were doing university. And it was there that uh, we came to meet each other. We developed a strong friendship. We actually moved in together, uh, lived in a house together and uh, as a bachelor pad before before I got married. And uh, we formed a very close friendship over the years. And it was in those years, in my young adult years, where God uh, plugged me into a church uh, in Adelaide, South Australia, which is basically where I'm from. And that church was being led at the time by Rob Rufus. So Rob Rufus became my uh, uh, the pastor of my young adult years. And it probably took me about three or six months to convince Chris Blackaby uh, to come over and, uh, and join me in that church. He was a part of a Baptist church at the time. And so Chris uh, and I were in the same church. We lived together. Uh, we did life together. And uh, Rob was our pastor and, and uh, would ultimately become uh, friends of ours uh, over the years as both Chris and I have gone into ministry and preaching and teaching ministry in different capacities. But uh, Chris and I have traveled the world together. We've had holidays together. He came here to our new house. Uh, we've recently relocated uh, state 
uh, about uh, late in 2022, and Chris was here for New Year's to help us celebrate our new home. And uh, yeah, so Chris and I got quite close. And one of the things we have in common is we're both people of the word and the spirit, and we both have developed a reputation. You know, people can say what they like, but we've developed a reputation uh, in certain circles of being two people who are able to, as Rob said there, distill uh, complex mm -hmm truth and and wide truth and deep truth into very easily understandable uh patterns and, and understandings uh, so uh we we both seem to have a, a knack a knack for doing that so yeah yeah i i think it's amazing because i if i'm speaking or even just talking to a mentee and we're having coffee up in my little loft area if something is from scripture, I hope to be able to tell them sort of where I might not know perfect at, you know, the reference or whatever, but usually pretty good. If I'm giving somebody else's information, I want to give credit, you know, but I loved that Chris Blackaby said that, but I didn't know whether he was just giving Chad Mansbridge credit. I didn't know that he knew you. And one time he said the same yeah. thing about Rob Rufus. And then to think that it's actually not just somebody he read and was giving credit. It's somebody that he knew. So that was really fun for me to find out. And we found that out about an hour ago, but now you're finding that out, people. Well, so I, that, I appreciate really that. Fun. And it's and, and one thing I've learned over the years is it's, it's not always always a done thing for people to reference a speaker. Uh, you know, an old pastor of mine used to say, listen, milk as many cows as you like, but make your own butter. Yeah. You know, at the end yeah. of the day, sometimes we don't know where we've learned stuff, you know, that there's certain yes. things, but, but sometimes it's quite clear. It's like, listen, I know that I've got that. And in fact, it's those truths that often stick with you for the yep. rest of your life or through the hardest of times. I've listened to probably like you, Rachel, thousands of sermons, okay, yep. over my life and podcasts and teachings. Yep. It's the things that God has, quote, spoken to me personally, that is personally illuminated to me that I know I own as my own. Those things um, are God's truths, but they're my truths. You know, I spoke yep. in our church, uh, the church that we're now a part of this past weekend, and, and, and I, I did a message that I called His Gospel my gospel, where Paul, at the mm -hmm. opening uh, discourse of Romans, he describes the gospel as God's gospel. And yet yes. in the closing verses, he says, it's my gospel. And there's mm -hmm. certain things that, you know, over the course of our life become our truth. They're always God's, but they're our truth. Yes. And, uh, you know, uh, so, but yeah, I do appreciate when something has come from another ministry that we do quote that. I had a friend of mine once attend a conference of quite a large church there in America. And, uh, and they sent me the recording and they said, this this uh, pastor of this church and this conference was reading, he qualifies you verbatim. And, mm. uh, it was, and he shaped his whole message around my three points in that book, pedigree, performance, position, and he not yep. once referenced me. And he, he just copied, he just read whole paragraphs of my book and uh, as if it was his own message, Creflo Dollar was there and, and, and tweeted out highlights from that message. And I'm like, well, there you go. There's there's my little book, He Qualifies You Being Read. Wasn't referenced, but it was read and and blessed thousands of people in that sort of mega church environment. So uh, I do appreciate you saying that because I also know, I only say that to say, I, I do know that some ministers don't actually do that. And <laughs> So uh, but be that as it may. And I think maybe you like to your point, if you milk a thousand cows, maybe you can't. But I even I'll even stand and I'll try to think I, this is silly. But sometimes I'm like I texted a friend. I'm like, no, I actually emailed her or so and so did whatever. And in my mind, I want to get it the right way, just so I recall it. But my dad used to say, when you have when you use somebody's things, that's plagiarism. When you, there was this middle ground, I can't remember. And then when you have so many resources, that's research. 
and that that was a point that then to your point you might be able to have something that becomes your own but it's been um, nuanced by other people perhaps but i do usually remember not only scripture but i remember things that somebody said that unlocked something in my mind uh, one day i listened to something by graham cook and he said if you are in christ so are all your circumstances Wow. Because we were going yep. through a really difficult time where I didn't get to see my beautiful now back together daughter for a period of seven years. It was eight years before we saw her face. And I'm talking no contact, no contact, no way to get to her. It was very troubling. But it was kind of like it. I mean, of course, I knew that God was in my circumstances, but it brought that like a like a, a balloon. Then it became lead balloon truth like oh wait a minute that was floating out there that if you're in christ so are all your circumstances and now i'm like oh yeah so there you go god has all of this so anyway thank you for being somebody who can distill truth thank you for a book like he qualifies you thank you for being a pastor that leads people and you say probably of the fivefold ministry your gift is teaching tell me a little bit about becoming a teacher slash pastor at such a young age because you were in your 20s correct uh, yeah, we actually planted or planted uh, a yeah. church when we were, my wife and I, when 23 <laughs> years of age, only married a couple of years. We had a 10-month-old child at the time. Wow. And uh, and that was largely, I mean, there's a whole backdrop story. I grew up in a Christian family. It was a Pentecostal, charismatic type of environment. So from 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 a child, uh, we as we had prophetic ministers, uh, ministries sort of visit our church, I'd often be one of those that got the finger pointed at and said, young man, stand up. I've got a word for you. You know, when I'm eight, 19 years of age, that type of thing. I kind of attracted, uh, you know, a lot of people when a prophet's in town, they wear their brightest shirt. So, you know, pick me, pick mm -hmm. me. Well, that just happened to me as a child, okay? And a lot of those words came about ministry and, and giftings and the call of God, which, you know, back in the 90s, we understood as being pulpit ministry. I think we certainly understand, uh, certainly now, that the call of God is on anything someone does. Uh, there's no mm -hmm. real distinction yes. between the spiritual reality and a secular world as far as vocation goes. Anyone with any calling uh, can be called of God in, in, in any sort of sphere of life and and Preach. taking the microphone at church is not more spiritual uh, than having a job in a, in a in a council or a police force or teaching at a school. Not by any means do you have to do what God's called you to do. But the language back then was certainly God's called you to ministry. So I kind of knew that growing up. Um, but after high school, I did a philosophy degree and a degree in legal studies and philosophy. And that helped me to think analytically. Uh, I think that mm. really helped develop the systematic uh, way of thinking. And it was during those years that I plugged into Rob Rufus's church and began to sense that uh, a greater sense of that call to lead a church and to be preaching and teaching. It was very much an apostolic environment where uh, the church that Rob was leading uh, was very much involved in church planting. And so that was very much a part of our culture. We had a sort of a revival culture going on on one hand where people were getting saved almost every week. You know, people would put their hands up uh, in the morning to respond to salvation. I'd be there baptizing them at night and literally dragging them out of the baptism tank because uh, they'd be knocked unconscious uh, yeah. in, under the power of God as, as they were baptized. This, this was what I thought was normal Christianity you know, as a, as a young adult. And it was in that environment and uh, that prophetic apostolic environment, I was silly enough to believe that at the age of 23, having never been to Bible college, having never preached, never been a pastor, never been on staff, never led a church meeting, never preached, as I said on a Sunday, I was silly enough to believe that I could plant a church at 23 just because the call of God was there. And uh, and that's exactly what we did. Moved back to my hometown, plant a church and began preaching and teaching. And it was in that huh. era that uh, probably six or seven years in, I, I, I broke my teeth, as it were, for that first yes. six or seven years, just coming out of that environment under 
under the um, the sort of the the momentum of, of that's created by a big church environment yeah. and an apostolic church and a gift like Rob's, and to really form and fashion my own sense of identity and gifting. And uh, so, is in that period of time, I think with my Pentecostal background. And my evangelical influence as a young adult, uh, when I was at university, I plugged into an evangelical uh, sort of conservative Christian circles mm. that, that really grounded me in the scripture. And so while I had a Holy Spirit background in my young adult years, this scriptural background, which Rob Rufus uh, negotiated both very well, you know, demonstrations of power, and yet he'd often sit and teach the scripture for, for an hour at a time. And so I also, with both of those appreciations, but would have developed over the years more of that teaching style. So by now, 20 years later, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a rare breed in sort of Pentecostal prophetic glory sort of circles where mm. I do a lot of my preaching now sitting on the platform on a stool <laughs> where I will just open the scripture and mm. begin to preach and teach in, in more of a conversational uh, tone. But um, but yeah, but I think I've developed over the years and and Rob mentioned this and you said this earlier, Rachel, uh, just that ability to take complex truth and distill it into easily understandable concepts. Let's pause a second. If you are enjoying The Real Deal with Rachel Inouye, subscribe, rate, and review it. I appreciate your support. All right, back to The Real Deal. Yeah, and, and you do it You do it so well. I want to know just a little bit of the impetus behind uh, He Qualifies You because I think we were talking earlier about how there, you know, there were the two covenants. And when that got introduced to me to begin with, it helped me know whether people were always referring to the old covenant or the new covenant. And I'm a Bible gal. I memorize the Bible. I read the Bible. I preach the Bible. I teach the Bible. But I wasn't even always sure which covenant. But your thought was it's not always just the two. So go into that a little bit more. That might clarify some things for people, I think, anyway. That's fine. And uh, probably five or six years into church planning, I decided to do a series. And that's one of the prerogatives that you have as a senior pastor, or as a lead pastor, particularly when I was doing the vast majority of preaching in those early years, I decided to do a series on the book of Galatians. And uh, Galatians, as you know, is uh, like almost like an abridged version. Uh, and uh, Galatians is like an abridged version of Romans and uh, where, mm -hmm. where Paul mm -hmm. unpacks uh, the progression of the gospel, but does so relating it to Moses and the law, uh, but also relating to Abraham. He doesn't just contrast the law with grace, okay, mm -hmm. with Moses' covenant, with Jesus' covenant. He always goes back past Moses to the age of Abraham, saying, listen, this is what Abraham had back here before Moses came along. And so my understanding they were doing that series through Galatians and, of course, reading Romans and Hebrews and, and, and other books of Paul was that, listen, it's not just uh, enough. It is better not just mm. to understand the gospel in light of the old covenant, old and new, old and new, old and new. No, no, no. We also need to go back a bit further and really understand Abraham and see how the, the progression from Abraham's era and how God dealt with his people before the law how that changed when Moses came to Mount Sinai and how obviously that changed once the cross came. And so not sufficient uh, to just understand Old and New Testament or Old and New Covenant, but to understand there are actually three major covenants that God has offered to mankind throughout history, Abraham, Moses, and Jesus. And if we understand those three, understand the progression between them, understand the distinctives 
between them. It not only opens our eyes to appreciate the full scope of Scripture, what we often refer to as the meta-narrative. You know, the Bible's many books, but it's ultimately mm -hmm. one story. You know, there is a progressive story through the Scripture. But to understand why God seems to treat people so differently here than he did here, you know, what, what's yeah. the deal? That God blesses Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And, and when God's people come out of Egypt, they're whinging, they're whining, they're complaining. And yet God keeps blessing them and providing for them and being good to them and, and never once curses them or punishes them. He just seems to love them and show kindness to them. And yet all of a sudden, after they come to Mount Sinai, they put one foot out of line and he begins cursing them and punishing them. Yep. And that's, that's very yep. awkward for us to, to read and go, is that the same God that I serve in the New Testament? No, no. Well, by the time of the New Testament and after Jesus, another covenant is introduced and God never changes. God never changes. But the conditions of the relationships that he has with people, that changes over time. They agree to a different yep. form of relationship God treats them according to that agreement. He's always acting in line with his nature, but he treats people according to the agreement that they are in. And so understanding those three distinct eras of time, the agreement that God had with Abraham, the agreement he then had with his people through Moses, and now the agreement, thank God, that we have with him through Jesus, uh, a new covenant, Jesus said, as he, as he offered that glass of wine to his disciples that night, yes. a new covenant I'm introducing. It's a new arrangement, a new agreement, and we need to understand the distinctives of those. Otherwise, as Rob said in that forward, we're going to end up with a very schizophrenic view of God. We're going to think that he's very moody. You know, one way he's one day he's very kind, and the next day he's harsh and cursing and condemning. No, 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 no. God is consistent. He's just acting in accordance with the covenant relationship that people are in. We need to understand those covenants to fully appreciate what Jesus has offered us. And thank God that we weren't born, you know, 3000 years ago under the law covenant agreement, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. And so the three parts that I remember, and you know, I have lots of highlights and lots of things from this small book that I seriously, I read it one day when my daughter was back in connection with me, I read it to her like during the day, like I just read it to her like in an hour or two or whatever it was. And it was so good, but it says here, the primary purpose of this book is to convince you that the privilege of God's promised blessing is yours because of your position in Christ, understanding your entitlement to God's promise is essential. It's an essential starting point for your ongoing, ever increasing experience of such blessing. So the blessing was to Abraham. We don't. We still get that. You know, sometimes people think that was only for Abraham. No. Then there was the Moses part, and then Jesus. So I loved how you talked about pedigree, and then you talked about you know uh, performance and how that can be where people stay and i can just see it all over them whether they feel worthy or whether they felt like they did read their bible enough or whether god's mad at them if they didn't perform 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 strive 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 and then position and so i will tell people you can't fall in and out of your position that's your position in Christ. Now it's set. And this book was really good. So I do, when I speak on identity at all, I always reference this book. I tell people, you got to get your hands on it. And I just am delighted. I'm actually talking not only to the author, but to somebody who is just so amazing and so sweet. And I really am. I'm glad that you're a kind man because we get to do this. Well, Rachel, second time. So, so good. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, you know, as I, as I said to the, you earlier, when I first wrote that book, uh, or put it down. I actually had pneumonia yeah. at the time and I had, wow. I had two weeks in bed. I'm like, dang it, I'm going to write a book. You know, so a mate of mine had encouraged <laughs> me to do that. But my intention was not to write a book on the subject of grace. Okay. Yes. My intention was to help people read the Bible properly 
and see the narrative of Scripture through the lenses of these three covenants, three covenant eras, and to therefore better read the Bible for themselves. And yet, when I put the book out to people to read and when it eventually got, got published, people kept coming back to me and saying, Chad, this is one of the best books on grace that I've ever read. I'm like, wow, I, do, I didn't write a book on grace. So that wasn't my intention, you know. Um, but for, you know, well-known grace preachers, Andrew Farley and others, uh, said this is a, an incredible the doctor. Uh, Paul Ellison in New Zealand uh, would say, listen, this is a great mm. book on grace. I had people, pastors, kids and pastors from different parts of the world saying, look, I've, I've preached on grace for years, but this joined the dots for me to yeah. better understand grace. And I'm like, wow. And my point is that if we read the Bible properly, if we understand the narrative of Scripture and we take Scripture in its correct context, okay, in its correct covenantal context, then we will see grace. We will understand the gospel of grace uh, as a byproduct of just simply handling the Scripture well and understanding those three covenants and understanding how they progress and change over time uh, is one of the keys to correctly handling the word of truth. Yeah. And and I do, I think it might've been Graham Cook once that explained, if you come into truth through maybe a spirit realm, you will hunger for the word. If you come in through the word, you will hunger for the spirit. And I believe God is wow. good to get you to the room you need to be in. You know what I mean? Like, oh, no, no, honey, you need some bread. This is the word of God. Oh, no, 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 honey, you need some wine. This is the spirit, you know? And I believe when you have both of those, and when both of those are preached, if you have just the preaching without the power, if you have just the power without the word, it's it's watered down in a sense because it's not the full package. And so for whatever it's worth, I, I love how things were unlocked in my mind through your book. And I want to know just a little bit about the other book, the one that's more uh, current. And it's on, well, it's on dividing the word of God, right? And it's you can handle the truth. So tell us a little bit about that. And then we'll see where we go from there. Well, it would have been around about 10 years ago, Rob Rufus okay. and I began traveling together. I'm now you know, leading my own church. He's now in Hong Kong, left Australia and planted a church in Hong Kong and is leading yep. a church there. I think that's, Rachel, when you began to uh, connect with him and start listening to his podcasts yep. and YouTube messages and that type of thing. And we were invited uh, somebody else, uh, a guy that we'd never met in Christchurch had also tapped into some of Rob's messages the same way you did, was leading a church. And it was just after the major earthquake there in Christchurch. He said, Rob, I'd love to have you come and minister in our city and bring a revelation of mm -hmm. the gospel of grace or bring a revelation of grace. Well, our second year in, uh, that pastor friend experienced quite a bit of... Uh, persecution, quite a bit mm. of a, a objection from other pastors in the city who were very cautious and very wary uh, mm. about the so-called hyper-grace message. It's kind of a disparaging term that they used, although Paul the Apostle uses the term himself, right. actually, in the scriptures. He said in Romans, if sin abounded, grace will hypo-abound, you know, much right. more abound. So Paul kind of believed in hyper-grace. It's a biblical term, but anyway, regardless. Right. Uh, but uh, these pastors were quite quite concerned. And so uh, my pastor friend in, in Christchurch said, look, I'm going to get the pastors together and they can speak to you face-to-face -face and, and air their concerns about your, your teachings. And so we did that. And as we heard their questions, and uh, even when we had a and a in, in the conference for the attendees that were there that year, I'm sitting there listening to the questions and I'm realizing, you know, it's not that people misunderstand grace. It's that people, the questions they're asking are really hermeneutic questions. <clears throat> they have to do with how are we supposed to understand the scripture? Mm. Not how we understand grace. No, no, no. How are we supposed to understand this passage of scripture? How are we supposed to understand this teaching 
of Jesus and who it's directed to and who it's not directed to. How are we supposed to understand this prophecy in Scripture? And so the issues were really about Bible interpretation issues, reading the Bible properly, understanding the meaning of the uh, meaning of the Scripture and knowing right. how to apply that to our life. And so the next year we went back to that conference. I took that, those discussions, and I brought a teaching on hermeneutics, how to rightly divide the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. I grew up on the NIV and it doesn't say rightly divide the word of truth. It says how to correctly handle, handle. the word of truth, handle the word of truth. There's a right way and there's a wrong way to handle the scripture. And so I developed a real passion through that time. I, I realized it was already a passion, but now I had uh, language or reason to be presenting and basically instructing Christians, Pentecostal prophesying glory Christians and mm -hmm. telling them, listen, you need to handle the Bible properly. It's one thing to handle prophecy and the glory encounters and, and mystic experiences that you have. I'll let I'll allow others to do that. I'm here to help you un, uh, apply and interpret the scripture properly. And uh, basically my ministry really took on that, that bent where even if I'm Whenever I'm preaching on any topic, I'm also inadvertently helping people to read the Bible and understand the Bible for themselves. And that's what I see a good teacher doing. Yeah. A teacher doesn't just say this is true, uh, doesn't just give you true information. A teacher will help you read the Bible for yourself and discover truth for yourself and discern truth for yourself. And so good teaching not only um, gives a certainty and clarity, when it comes to complex issues, but good teaching will also stir your curiosity and get sure. you asking questions and uh, discovering the, the scripture for yourself. And so my second book, really, to answer your question, Rachel, eventually came out of that. This great uh, people heard me teaching on hermeneutics and they said, Chad, that's got to be your next book. Help us to read the Bible and understand the Bible for ourselves. And that's where you can handle the truth comes from. Uh, the subtitle is Making Sense of the Bible in three simple steps. Uh, since it came out in COVID at the end of 21, it's won, I think, three or four international awards. I have a video course uh, on mm -hmm. that for small groups and ministry wow. schools and for individuals. And uh, yeah, it's become a very, very helpful uh, tool for people. Very easy to read. It has a mentoring conversational tone. That The front cover is me literally sitting on a chair with my Bible in my hand. And that's the, that's the mm. feel of it. It's not technical. It doesn't yeah. have big theological scholarly terms. It's designed for the everyday Christian to help them read and understand and apply the Bible properly. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, I have to get it because I, I don't I don't own that one and I have to get it because I, I do believe that there is um, there's something front porch level that needs to bring everybody in that then brings them into the house of the knowledge of whatever. But sometimes there has to just be access to that kind of truth and, and available to all people so that they can not only understand it, but um, appreciate it and then be hungry for more on their own too. So that that's awesome. I, I think you might be from the whole glory cloud and for the whole Pentecostal movement into more of the word. I think I had parents that were more Pentecostal. I grew up in the more you learn God this way. We came to this um, place and it was all this. And now I'm sent, you know how like you're either sent to the Jew or the Gentile. I'm sent to those who are only heady to show them Holy Spirit. <laughs> You are okay. from the Holy Spirit to show them there is the word, which is actually kind of fun because it gets me gets me excited that there's like there's more like there's a whole new window you haven't looked through. And, and I like to do that. So it's kind of interesting that we're on a little bit of opposite audiences. But I love the fact that you will be not only palatable for my audiences, but you will bring 
they'll be like, oh yeah, he's a word guy. I like that. And then you're also having a background. So that's really, really good. Okay. I think we have done mainly what I wanted to do. I wanted to talk to you about the books. I want to talk to you about, you know, being a minister at such a young age, but can you tell me real briefly about how you met your wife? And then I'm going to ask you if there's anything else burning that you remember from the first time that Holy Spirit, because I think it was the part about um, how you called your ministry from Isaiah at 58, 12. And, and that was important because it was a word that was spoken over you. So if you can, I know you've already done that to me, but I just want you to share that with my audience. It was profound. I loved it. That's fine. Well, well, my wife uh, grew up or spent a good part of her childhood in Africa with her parents who worked for mission organizations and health organizations. And mm. and uh, at some point, I think she, when she was about 14, uh, they had to rush back to Australia when her dad had a, a brain tumor and needed an, uh, an urgent operation. And uh, both of my wife's grandparents live in the town where I'm from. So while she spent much of her childhood traveling around with her parents, uh, the Victor Harbor, where I'm from, was kind of a home away from home with both sets of grandparents based there. And so when they had this health issue, they came came to Victor Harbour and I would have met Jay there firstly, but uh, only for a few months. I plugged into the mm. church that we were part of and we sort of first met each other. She then moved away once her dad was better, uh, but then came back to live with her grandma to finish her high school in the, the last year of high school. And it's really then uh, I was in my first year of uni university, sorry. She was in her last year of, of uh, high school, whatever you call that there. And uh, it was really then that we developed a, a, a proper friendship and began courting or dating or whatever you say uh, over over that year. And uh, then as she moved away again with her parents to so have another year with her parents, and we had a long distance relationship for those first 12 or, or 14 uh, months. So we really met each other, high school sweethearts, almost as it were, when we were yeah. 17, 18. We were married by the time we were 20, 21. And uh, had our first child. And as I said before, we planted a church at 23 uh, years of age. So we've been married over 20 years now. So four kids, uh, three who are young adults. And then we had a 10 year gap before number four. Uh, So, uh, you know, the youngest of our top three is currently 17 and Zoe is seven. So there's sort of that, uh, that big gap there. But uh, yeah, there you go. So they call it a caboose, right? A little caboose blessing. Right. Well, very expected. Not not an accident, but yeah, nope. uh, but yeah very much question. so. Like the, you know, the later one, but that's really, really, really great. And you're and you're a number four, so uh, I am. You know, I'm number four, they, they so I always root for number four. I'm really glad my parents kept trying for a another boy, but never got a boy, or not another boy, a boy, and kept getting girls. So I'm the fourth girl. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, okay. And, so the and, other thing was about the the ministry and the Isaiah that was spoken over you, but you also told me something in the first time about you were, you had an accident like in your teens, 16s or something like that. So tell about the voice. If you can tell about hearing voices, because I wrote a book called he speaks because I wanted people to know that still speaks. It's not like just Mark four verse nine, like he speaks to us and you hear voices. And I try to talk about the voice of God versus another voice that you're hearing. So tell us about that. If you would. Well, being able to discern God's voice and guidance in our life has always been a passion for me. So, mm. you know, as a local church pastor for 20 years, uh, I can speak on a lot of different subjects. But one of my passions, as it sounds with you, is also is to help people discern the voice of God and understand yep. how God guides them uh, in their life. And 
the funny thing is when I was dedicated, I grew up, as I said, in a Christian home. My family, my mum and dad dedicated me at the local church that they were a part of when I was uh, only a few weeks old. And an old lady came up to my mum and dad with a scripture in her, in her hand, a prophetic lady. She had a prophetic reputation. She handed uh, that verse to my parents and said, I just feel I was praying for young Chad, little baby Chad this week. And uh, and this is a verse I felt for him, a little bit like Anna and Simeon, you yes, know, the Christmas yes, story, yes. how they'd bless baby Jesus, you know. And the funny thing is now, as a pastor for 20 years, we had Adopted that every time that we dedicate a baby or have a baby dedication or service in our in our church, we ask older people in the church to pray for that child during the week and give them something prophetic. So I've actually mm-hmm. sort of adopted that yeah. into our own church. But the point is that scripture, the passage that was given to my parents that day when I was a baby, came from Isaiah 58, verse 11 and 12, that says, The Lord will guide you always. And it goes on to continue to say, as a result of God's guidance, you'll be a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail, and you'll have a ministry of uh, restitution and and reconstruction and restoration and renewal, et cetera, et cetera. So people can go read that, Isaiah 58, verse 11 and 12. Well, during my childhood, my mum, wanting to use that prophetic word to bless me as I grew up, uh, printed it off on two A4 sheets of paper. I can remember it about size 20 or 24 font and literally stuck it on my wardrobe. So I would see that my whole, all my teenage years, I'd mm. be looking at that scripture and uh, just that reminder of those words that God's spoken over me when I was a baby. And so I grew up uh, even through some of my difficult teenage years with the knowledge or the specific promise that God would guide me and God would lead me. Well, when I was 15 years of age, I heard a voice speak to me in my bedroom with that scripture right over my shoulder. I heard a voice speak to me and say, Chad, you're going to die when you are 16 and this will be your last Christmas. And as somebody who is a teenager and I'm wanting to hear God's voice, I'm knowing this is a promise for me. I actually went through a good month or so questioning whether, well, maybe this is God. Maybe God's giving me a warning that I'm going to die at 16 years of age and this will be my last Christmas. I better make the most of it. I wonder if this is God. Now, that word scared me. I didn't share it with my family, Mm. uh, but it did cause some fear in me, obviously, as a a 15-year-old. But I also wondered, well, maybe this is God. Well, my parents uh, sent me to a summer camp. Now, over here in Australia, of course, Christmas and New Year's is our summer. Okay, December, January is our summertime. It's the opposite for you guys in that in that hemisphere. Uh, but uh, would send me on a summer camp, and we had a Baptist. It was very evangelical. I was one of the few Pentecostal kids there. But uh, I went up to the Baptist minister who was speaking at that conference, and I asked him just privately. I said, "Listen, I've heard this voice say I'm going to die sometime when I'm 16." What do you think about that? Is that God? And he counseled me and he said, no, Chad, you know, <laughs> I think uh, when God speaks, it's uh, encouraging. Quote of Corinthians says encouraging, strengthening and comforting. That doesn't mm. seem like a word that would come from God. Well, lo and behold, a few months later, I have a major car accident, uh, six bags of blood uh, infused into me. There was a point wow. where I thought they might have to wow. take off my legs. The jaws of life uh, ripped open the car to get me out and I was helicoptered uh, to the city hospital. And uh, part of the miracle story of that is that my while I was knocked unconscious in the front seat, my friend in the back, uh, who was conscious the whole time, told me later in hospital, he said, Chad, the first thing I remember as I sort of you know, woke up and realized we'd hit this truck is that he said, I saw your arms lifted through the shattered windshield. And he said, you were singing in Italian mm. and you were chanting. 
And he said, I knew you were praying. I just didn't understand the words that you were saying. This guy's not a Christian. Okay. Wow. But he's basically telling me, Chad, you are worshiping and praying in tongues when you are unconscious. That is exactly what was happening. And God saved me uh, through that time. So why do I say that, Rachel? Because as a teenager, learning to discern the voice of God and God, as I've said, taught over the years uh there's three main ways that god guides us i actually write about this in my book god guides us or leads us through the spirituals and that my pentecostal background helped mm -hmm. me understand that mm -hmm. prophecy words of knowledge dreams visions angelic encounters and an inner witness glory encounters i'm open to it all okay i've got yep. a grid for all of those experiences god leads us through the spirituals secondly god leads us through the scripture and I'm grateful for my evangelical um, influences in my young adult years. I grew up Pentecostal with an understanding of the Holy Spirit and spirituals and, and the gifts of the Spirit. But I'm grateful that I also had evangelical voices in my life that taught me mm -hmm. the value of the Holy Scripture. God guides us through his written word. And then thirdly, God guides us through the saints, the mm. spirituals, the scriptures and the saints. God yeah. puts other people in our life to help us discern his voice. And sometimes it's a Baptist minister that doesn't even believe tongues is for today. Okay. God used that man uh, who doesn't believe in miracles. who's a cessationalist. He used that man to help me understand the voice I heard was not the voice of God. Okay. So God puts people in our life and it can be unexpected people to help guide us and discern his voice. And uh, that was part of my journey. And so when we started our own ministry, uh, when we were started traveling and publishing books and uh, being invited to conferences and we ne needed to start our own ministry entity, uh, you know, you'd call it a 401c or whatever you've got there in the States, are kind of the equivalent for us. I thought we need a ministry name to register. And so I chose I-5812 as a, as a reference to Isaiah 58 verse 11 and 12, those scriptures that were given to me when I was young, the promise that God would guide me always. So, you know, I-58-12 is not something I mentioned publicly. It's very much a, a sort of behind the scenes uh, registration issue. But uh, that prophetic word, I say all that to say that prophetic word uh, had a profound impact on me growing up. And thanks to my mum who published it and put it in my bedroom. And as I said earlier, Rachel, as we, we were sort of sharing this story, I had I had the feeling today that we might actually have people watching or listening to this. I suspect uh, maybe a mum out there who has prophetic words spoken over her children. Don't leave those in a bottom drawer somewhere, okay? It's not enough that you know them. Amen. Like Paul said yeah. to Timothy, young yeah. people need to take those prophetic words that were given uh, to them and and fight the good fight with fight fight the good fight with them basically so uh, take that word put it up in their bedroom remind them this is what God's spoken over you uh, because we're growing up in a world where your teenagers your young adults will hear many conflicting voices okay many voices speaking to them about their identity their purpose what is true what is not true and uh, part of that battle uh, is is uh, helping them instructing them in the written word but also the prophetic word that God has spoken over them. So I'm glad that my mum did that for me and uh, used that scripture, Isaiah 58, verse 11 and 12, has particular prophetic pertinence for me. But at the end of the day, all truth is good truth. <laughs> and uh, yes. and so, yeah, that's part of our job as parents is to help our kids understand truth and walk in that. To totally agree. And, you know, I think it's in Deuteronomy where it says you're going to tell them about God when you sit and when you rise, when you walk along the road. And when I speak to young moms, I'll say, and when you're in your minivan, I said, I know that you don't add to scripture, but it just means whenever you're always teaching, you're always in that moment of telling them the truths of God, because then it won't feel foreign. 
that all of a sudden I'm going to sit you down and I've got to tell you this thing. You know, you you use the scripture to prophesy over them or tell them about their life. That's really, really, really powerful. And God will, his word never returns void. And when it is spoken over someone, it has an effect on them. I mean, I started this whole thing telling you that my dad told me to be the real deal and how that mattered to me. But that's just an example that has nothing to do with scripture, but it did carry through my life. So yeah, that's really, really, really good. I'm, I'm so grateful for your time. I'm so grateful for who you are. I really am. And I, like I said earlier, I was just really glad that you would even say yes when I wanted you to be on the real deal. And so well, I Rachel, love- thanks for taking a chance on me. Cause you know, oh. as, you, as you said, you don't often have people on your show that you don't personally know. And, oh. uh, and so thanks for taking that risk. And, and I, I hope that our audience today has benefited from Oh, I know they're going to be so blessed. And for me, it's, it's just important that I sense that somebody, I'm not saying that we, we don't evolve or have areas where God is filing things off of us or anything like that. But I just believe that you can sort of tell whether somebody senses that they're in their own skin and they're comfortable with it, or they own who God is in them. Christ and Chad, the hope of glory, Christ and Rachel, the hope of glory, that part that we redisplay the manifold wisdom of God through the church. The angels are going, wow, that's a little bit of what God looks like because of her and him and him. And I just, I know I'm on the planet to celebrate people and the genius of God in them. That's the tagline of the the podcast. Wow. But I really do get excited when I go, oh, do you know what? I don't tick like that. I don't have that. That and, and I delight in that. So I'm grateful that I got to interview you. And maybe one day, Michael and I will be in Australia. Oh, that'd be a long flight. But um, and I'll get to meet <laughs> yeah. you in person. I thank you for your time. And then I thank you for your re-time because you did it again. You re-upped for this. And so I'm really grateful. If you would pray for the real dealers out there, whoever will be listening. What I love about this is there are people that have listened to the first episode in every episode. There are people that have listened to one and dones. I just believe it's going to divinely be who God wants to listen to it or watch it. And and I just want you to bless them. So if you do that, and then I'll just bless you and close the way my dad prayed one of the last times that he was on the real deal. So would that work? Or do you have anything else that's, you know, like, I don't want to cut you off. If there's something that's 100%. burning. Okay. That's fine. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Oh, Dad, we thank you. Yeah, Dad, we thank you for every listener, every viewer today. Uh, we thank you that you know where every single one of us is at and that you meet us uh, mm-hmm. according to that today. Uh, we pray, Lord, that uh, timely truth would come to people today and burn in their hearts, that there would be a prophetic nowness uh, to some of the things that we've shared today, but also that timeless truth would break mm-hmm. into people's hearts and minds. May the spirit of truth lead and guide us ever more into greater understandings and realms of your glory and grace. And uh, I bless every every viewer and every every mm-hmm. uh, every listener here today. Thank you that you have destined them to be part of this conversation and that you will draw them nearer to you uh, in that process. And God, I'm so grateful for every real dealer. I'm so grateful for the people that have followed. And I just pray right now in the name of Jesus, that they would just have a sense of what you're doing in their life, who they are, that they're created on purpose for a purpose and that you have plans for them to give them a future and a hope. I thank you for the way you did that in Chad's life, that you preserved him, that your angels were watching over him, that you brought him out of that death circumstance and brought him into new life. Lord, I thank you for how clear he is in his, not only just his speech, but in his writing. I thank you that it affected my life and I'm so grateful. I will always pass it on to others. I just pray a blessing on him, God. I pray a blessing on his marriage and his four children. I pray that they would always seek you, that your word would be like honey from the honeycomb to them, that they would eat it. They would enjoy it. They would be guided by it. I thank you that your truths are sure and they're a firm foundation. I thank you for what you're doing in and through 
Chad's life. I thank you for the things that Rob wrote in the book about him being a brilliant preacher who will affect many. And Lord, I thank you for this new season in his life. And mm, I pray yes. that it would be like, I just, I'm just seeing like waterfalls of your grace, new, new water coming over him, God, just a, a shower of your mm. goodness coming over him, Lord, that that would just doesn't stop that, that the rivers of living water would be over him mm. and that you would bring his stream into new places, places he'd never even imagined, but you would do that Ephesians 3.20 thing for him, God. And it mm. would just be delighting um, his heart to know how much you love him and have purposed mm. him. And so I just celebrate his significance, God, and the genius of you, God, in Chad. So thank you for this conversation. And I just want to close with the prayer that my dad prayed. Lord, we just ask for all the people listening. We ask that you would help us to be the best we can be. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for wow. your time today. I really appreciate it. And now I'm going to hit save. So everybody, this is where the music comes in. And we will close. And then I'll call Michael. Okay. Thank you. Double, thank you. Double or nothing, right? Double or nothing. Double or nothing. Hey, Michael. You've been listening to The Real Deal with me, Rachel Inouye, helping people celebrate their significance and the genius of God in them. Audio engineering by my husband, Michael Inouye. Thanks, babe. Theme music by Andrew Grace. <laughs>